Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Locked On Ravens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Ravens talk every day, brought to you by Russell Street Report. I'm Josh Soroka from Section 336, and joining me is my favorite writer for Russell Street Report, Ken McCusick. Ken, how's it going? Life is good, Josh. How are you doing? I'm doing doing well. Doing well. Um, so, I guess... This week we got to, we got to talk about the Ravens' offense, and the Ravens' offense started out ugly at that, that first quarter. I mean, we're going to have to talk about it because that ended up just ugly. But in the end, they won the game, so there's definitely some positives for this uh, for this this Raven team and the offense. So um, I don't know where do you want to get started this week. Well, we can talk about a few things, but but you're right. I mean, the, the Browns have a way of just self-destructing in their own park against the Ravens. It's happened many times. The Browns, I can't even imagine this. They've lost 12 consecutive home openers now. In fact, the last time they won was in 2004 when the Ravens dropped a 20 to throw or laid a 20 to three egg there. But uh, uh, to have that many consecutive home openers lost is just uh, awful. Yeah, that that's crazy. And you know what, Ken? I really uh, just skipped over the first marker where we got to tell people why they should care what we say about the the Ravens and why they might uh, be interested in listening to us. So, Ken, you've been writing for uh, Russell Street for a, a long time, uh, probably as long as I've been reading Russell Street Report. Could you tell me a little about about yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, Ten years as a as a writer there. Uh, more than thirty years in sports modeling since the mid nineteen eighties. Uh, I worked as an actuary for a number of years, but now I've retired to write about football full time, and this is really my passion. I, I like to think a column called. I'd like to think of I'm you sorry. as a sports model, modeler, as in you're an actual like model. <laughs> but you know better than that, so right, right, right. And, I, I know what sports modeling really is, but uh, I'm just saying the ti- the title the title's uh, a little misleading. Sports modeling. How about you, Josh? Tell us about your background with 336. Uh, I've been doing 336 for uh, four years. We are Baltimore Sports Talk. Do it with my brother and brother-in-law every uh, Tuesday. And I've uh, been doing it for for many years and uh, really enjoying this Orioles season this year. Yeah, who wouldn't? So, Well, anyone who doesn't want their you know colon twisted around a spindle every oh, night it- watching their offense and pitching. Yeah, but 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 that's a good transition for us to talk about this past Sunday's Ravens game because it was similar stress. There you go. All right. So anyway, first quarter they got behind twenty to nothing. Of course, I love how the announcers just say they've got behind twenty to two. You can't. You're supposed to break it at the most dramatic point there, and that was twenty to nothing when um, Lawrence Guy took over the game with the with the first block. He would later block another field goal to send it wide. Um, but anyway, that, that started the, the, the Ravens back on their way. Um, a lot of things to look at offensively in this game. We talked about the defense already. They certainly had a big hand in turning this game around, as did special teams. But we're, we're going to talk about the offense today. And one of the things that came up during the game that I thought was very entertaining was at the very end. And with three minutes left, the Ravens had the ball driving um, third and seven 
We're at one more first down with three minutes to go would have really sealed the game from the Browns 23 yard line. And uh, the Ravens ran an old familiar formation. They sent out an old familiar formation, which is basically they motioned into the I formation two running backs in the backfield. Okay. Because you don't know, obviously. And, and uh, uh, Chris Sims immediately piped up and he's doing the color on the game and said, I know what they're going to run out of this formation. Uh, um, and he starts to telestrate on the screen by showing two receivers going from the left side to the right side. And, and he said, you know, they're going to try and set up multiple, multiple levels of receivers on the right side of the field and give Flacco an option to throw. And it's the play we talked about last week, which is zone block left, naked boot right, that he's describing in there. So he, uh, uh, Flacco, in fact, took the snap directly under center. Uh, rolled back, did not have overt play action on the fate, but, uh, play. But the backside defender, nonetheless, was not fooled by the fact that all of the line was zone blocking to the left. Uh, he moved upfield immediately. That was to meter to right. chase down Flacco. And Schobert, the outside linebacker, uh, took care of four set on the play in terms of covering him. And Flacco was forced to dump the ball away quickly. But I thought it was, it was the first instance I've ever seen. That, well, that, that's the play that we've, we've seen the Ravens do in the past where they, they go with the deep ball, right? Uh, and yeah, I think, they, I think they go with the deep ball and, and hope for pass interference, if not a catch. Yeah, that's that's the first option. You go from you go from long to deep as you go through the three options because it's it's the, the formation and the and the the, the the play action is intended to create time and space for the quarterback. So it's one of the uh, you know forms of trickery that can allow you enough time to throw a deep pass. So so, so they, they generally. So why would you ahead. do that? Why would you do that over just a standard shotgun? Well, the standard shotgun, you tell the opposing team that you're going to pass and you give up the opportunity for right. play action. And, and they, they ran, in this game, they ran about two-thirds shotgun snaps, so they did that fairly regularly. Um, when they the, the 24 times that they did run a standard under center snap, they did play action on seven of those snaps. But play action, you know, with Flacco in the shotgun this year so far, about two-thirds of the time, is really dropped out of the Ravens' playbook uh, to a degree – you know, I haven't seen before. Flacco's always been a very effective and regular play-action passer. And more than that, the seven times they did run play-action this game, they weren't heavily sold play-action plays. You can fake a handoff, and you can kind of wave at the running back with the ball from a further distance, and that's really what we saw more of in this game. Okay. All right. Um, is that, how does that do for uh, – I guess that, that then helps – Joe with more space then gives him more time. Uh, I guess less less uh, chance of getting knocked down as well. Uh, probably a little bit. It gives gives him a better chance to get the ball out quickly out of the shotgun. Um, if he, if uh, and that's obviously what they've been running. But but uh, it also you know keys off the defense so that it's probably easier to uh, set up your coverage and set up your blitz to to uh, deal with that. But Flacco can see the field better and he presumably can make a better choice with his pass. Okay. And uh, eventually the Ravens ended up uh, getting a field goal. Yeah, field goal they, they that. did. And that, yeah. that put them up by five and then they, they held on and kept them from, kept them out of the end zone. All right. Um, well on that, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about uh, Joe Flacco, uh, Ronnie Stanley, and uh, what else is going on with the uh, Ravens offense. Today's show is brought to you by section 336. The Orioles are making a playoff push, and Section 336 has a brand new episode out today. 
Find it at utahstreetreport.com and section336.com. Now you're back to Locked on the Ravens, and we're going to now get into Joe and uh, Ronnie Stanley. So, Ken, uh, let's let's go a little, in a little more detail with Joe. You, you talked about the, the play action, but uh, how was Joe's numbers, um, especially outside of that first quarter? I know you're going to have to talk about that first quarter, but I'm more excited about what he does after that. Sure. I, I great. Uh, it was a great comeback, and Flacco was it was a central character in the comeback. Obviously, he had two interceptions in the game, which you, you never really want to see. One of them, very much an unforced error that he threw into traffic, and, and uh, you know, we've seen a number from Flacco over the years. But every basically, when you have ample time and space, I think you should almost never throw an interception. Right? You should certainly have a significantly lower interception rate. Um, without th- ample time and space, when he was pressured, he also threw one interception. That was to to Hayden, also of course, and uh, and and you know, you're more tolerant of interceptions under those circumstances. The offensive line in this game gave Joe ample time and space on 25 of 45 dropbacks as I scored it. And we've talked about this definition before. I'll just I'll just remind the listeners who are here for the first time that ample time and space means the quarterback has at least three seconds to throw and has an arc of 120 degrees centered on the, res- the targeted receiver where he can step fully into his throw. So three full seconds, able to step into the throw. Those are the key elements of the definition. So 25 out of 45 times he had that. And that, and that really helped allow him to not be sacked on Sunday. Yes, no sacks, so that's great. Um, he was knocked down six times, and that's not so, that's not so great. You know, in Joe's case... Uh, I think coming off this injury, really important to limit both of those numbers, not just the sacks. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, it was an, it was a, a uh, leg problem. So, of course, every time he gets knocked down, you want to make sure he gets back up. So right. limit, limit that is definitely uh, something to continue to work on. But six does not sound bad. Right. Joe had a big game this time in terms of when he did not have a lot of, of time and space on the 20 throws where he didn't. He averaged 5.7 yards per dropback, which doesn't sound like much, but I'll tell you the average is right around four yards per dropback when you don't have time and space. And both of the touchdowns were thrown when he didn't have good time to throw, including a couple, as well as a, a couple of long passes to Pitta. So uh, actually a very good game without time and space in this game. Not as good with time and space. He averaged about 7.6 yards per throw. That's below expectation for that. He should be a little over eight yards in that situation. And it sounds like a lot, but he only completed 64% of his throws when he had ample time and space, which is really kind of low. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's where we are. If you want more detail on that or to see a graphical representation of that, please go to, to Russell Street Report and look for a film study there. And there's there's far more detail in terms of the graphical interpretations and actual minus ex- expected yards and all the other neat things you might want to see. And, and that's going to be with everything that we're talking about today. There's way more info over on Russell Street Report. Yes, sir. So, all right, so how about Ronnie Stanley? All right, great. Yeah, well, Ronnie Stanley, first of all, had not a bad debut at all. We talked about it last week. Um, I already saw an article by somebody from Green Bay who must have been like almost talking about his feelings as he was describing that, that there's no way a left side of the line containing two rookies could hold up. Well, offensive line scoring, you really have to actually watch the individual plays to do it. I mean, you know, you're you're a big baseball fan, Josh. You right. wouldn't try and tell you if, if somebody was a good hitter by watching three of his at bats. Describes how he was able to lay off the high fastball that time, and he was able to lay off the low curveball that time. And then when the you know center cut slider came, he hammered it out of the park. 
it just it, it's not sufficient. So you really have to watch everything to, to to get a sense of how people are doing. Stanley had an outstanding second game. So what did he do? He allowed three pressure events. They were all standard pressures and nothing too terrible. Uh, it didn't allow Flacco to get actually hit or knocked down, I should say, on any way on any of those three pressures. Otherwise, he missed three blocks. And I'm going to tell you, that at left tackle is really a terrific game. Uh, scores out as a B-plus after adjustment for quality of competition. In his case, I couldn't give him a big positive uh, adjustment because he had uh, Agba as his primary opposition, who's a rookie. And uh, if, he, you know, if he had three, four years in the league and, and, and was a proven pass rusher, this would have been an A-minus or an A game for Stanley, probably. But, I mean, that, that, that's good. Two, two, two straight weeks? I'm, I'm Stanley might be the jersey to buy. I mean, that guy, if you're talking two weeks in, and, and I know it's a, still a small sample size, and you were just saying you got to look at the big picture, not all this small stuff, but but two regular season games is enough to get me excited about the guy. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And, and uh, you know, he comes with the first-round pedigree, of course, too. But if you're t- really talking jerseys and you want a safe jersey, I'd say after two games, Stanley is the guy. You're, you, you got it exactly. So we've talked about this before. Maybe you want the contrarian jersey. And then maybe you move over to left guard and take Alex Lewis. How was how that segue? Pretty good? Yeah, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that's great. Let, let's talk about Lewis. All right. Well, Lewis versus the Browns uh, uh, had his second straight game of in-the-trench warfare where he was really fighting. Um, he did some things very well, and he did some other things not well. Let's start with what he did not do well. He allowed uh, Joe to get hit three and a half times. So he has one split quarterback hit with uh, Yanda, but the other three were all his. Uh, he had a, a ragdolling he, he took at the hands of Danny Shelton. Uh, uh, Peya, I, I, I think I'm pronouncing his, his name correctly, um, also hit him low uh, on, on the 22-yard completion. You may remember that play because Peya was called for uh, roughing the passer. Right. And it didn't matter. I, I didn't remove the quarterback hit charge because he beat um, Lewis cleanly on the play. So the fact that he ended up hitting Flacco low as opposed to somewhere else it doesn't really uh, help Lewis's okay. score, obviously. But, right. uh, but anyway, he, he finished with a C for the game. He finished actually with the identical score, just slightly different deductions than he was in the first game. What he did do well, and we need to talk about that, is he made six blocks in level two. And that was six of seven times where he got to level two and had a chance to make a block. He, he was able to find it. And that's something a big man could struggle with. But he's, he's fairly quick and he's very decisive. Um, in terms of, of of figuring out who he's going to block, and and that's a very high rate and and something to uh, to be positive about. He had a pancake, and he made three other highlight blocks. Um, you know, I look for things like combination blocks, and 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 three highlight blocks for for a guard is really good. Um, uh, he had a nice combination block on meter, and then Kirksey, meaning he met somebody at the line of scrimmage, pinned him for the center, and then moved into level two and and blocked Kirksey. Uh, that, that plays about uh, two thirds of the way through the fourth quarter when the Ravens were really running the ball to try and wipe the clock out, and so that's a that's a really nice block. So I like Lewis. I think he's he's that much further in terms of his leash on losing this job. I don't think Urschel is going to come back and take it from him. Okay. Um, I think he would really have to play poorly now for several games to lose the job. So that that rookie that rookie left side is uh is not too much of a concern right now. Uh, looking good. That that's that's great to hear. All right, uh, one more break, uh, and then I got to ask you about Jeremy Zuda because we were a little worried about him last week, if you remember. He did not have a good uh, a week one, so I'm hoping he improved on week two, but uh, we'll be right back. 
Is Democracy in Danger or Decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. All right, you're back with Locked On Ravens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, uh, brought to you by Russell Street Report. And uh, you've been listening. I'm Josh Soroka. With me is Ken. And Ken, uh, Ken McCusick, what is going on this week with Jeremy Zuda? All right, Jeremy Zuda certainly on the hot seat after his bad performance highlighted by that uh, botched snap that caused the, the Ravens turnover in game one. So he came back and, and I think he really did have something to prove. Probably was looking over his shoulder a little bit at Jensen and Urschel who are slavering at the opportunity to play center for this team. And uh, he did improve, um, but there's still some things that are, that are glaringly uh, not good about his play. So what, what, what went wrong? He gave up a full pressure to, to Paya again. Uh, it, most, it was near the end of the half uh, where he just got bowled very, very hard back into the quarterback on the long incomplete that was thrown to, for Perriman. Um, he had otherwise, the, the thing I really am concerned about is that he's missing tons of blocks. It's very difficult, we mentioned this last week, for a center to, to miss a block because he knows what the assignments are. So it's usually a matter of him needing to get level two and figuring out who's going to block there. That may be a question. But he just, all he has to do to get a block in my system is really just help pin the guy next to him or assist on a block there or just hold off a guy who's directly in front of him. Right, but it was, and, cl- it was clear watching the game that, that guys were getting past them. Yes. Uh, they, Danny Shelton is a first-round pick from last year, and, and he's, a, he's a very difficult nose tackle. He really was pushing him back into the backfield a, a, a fair amount. Now, those didn't really result in pressure. Some of them came on run plays. Um, so anyway, it didn't end up being a big negative scoring event for him, but it's something he's got to clean up. I mean, I, I don't know how you do it really, because when you can't anchor, that's one of the things I look at and say, that's not correctable guys fall starts three times in a game. I say, well, that's probably correctable, but a guy can't hold off a larger man. How are you going to fix that with technique? I mean, there's only so much you can do. I see. Well, so I mean, yeah, I mean, we just got to We just got to hope he improves. I mean, he, again, um, we used to yeah. say at our company, hope is not a strategy. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that, and I'm not going to take him off the hot seat yet. But a slight improvement from week one, maybe Jacksonville, he can he can uh, improve a little more, or at least um, at least do a little better against a weaker team, maybe. That's right. But how about uh, Marshall, Marshall Yanda? Mar- Marshall Yanda, um, significantly better game, and... What people will remember from this game is the chop block call that Marshall had. And it was a weird instance where Wagner was blocking Nate Orchard on the right side of the line while Yonda and Zuda were double teaming Danny Shelton. Well, anyway, Yonda looked back to see if Wagner needed help, or at least that's the way it appeared. And all of a sudden, near the end of the play, Shelton pushed him hard backwards. This gives you an idea of what a powerful man he is because he's taken a double team and he's able to push a guard like Marshall Yonda off him. And Yonda went uncomfortably backwards hit it hit orchard just above the waist but then kind of dragged down his body a little bit and was called for a chop block now obviously there was no intent there 
And one of the interesting shots you could see in the broadcast video was Yanda and Wagner walking back to the huddle, and they're clearly watching the video board to see what happened in terms of this chop block. So anyway, they they were visibly disappointed in the call, Yanda even more so than Wagner. They split the penalty because it's a chop block. One goes high, one goes low, so the, so the penalty goes on two players generally or can. Okay. Um, so I split the charge for that. Uh, Yanda, despite that, had a very good game. Um, he, he had a number of highlight blocks, seven blocks in level two. He pulled six times and connected on every single one of those, had four highlight blocks, a uh, really nice pull on Forsett's 11-yard run left, which happened near the end of the first quarter, if you want to go yeah. check on that. Yeah, I definitely but, saw him uh, helping out helping out Forsett get down the field. Yeah. yeah. So overall, B-plus grade for Yonda. And uh, uh, PFF, again, rated him for the second straight week, the highest uh, – uh, the highest rated right guard in the league. And I think he was close to that uh, from the way I saw it. So th- this week you agree last week, not, not so sure this week you yeah. agree with them. Uh, last week. I really didn't agree because the uh, PFF really rated the penalties different than I would. And they, they scored them differently. We, I don't want to go into that again, but, but yes, I, we did not agree last week and we do agree this week. in a right. simple way. All right. Well, last week you told me that for week one, Rick Wagner was the best lineman on the team for that day. Did he You're just going to force me to re- repeat myself. Well, I'm asking, did he live up to it in week two? He did. He had another great game. In fact, um, Rick did not allow a single pressure event. So he didn't allow a, a, a pressure, a quarterback hit, or a sack. And he's only done that once previously. That was at New Orleans in 2014 uh, in that Monday night game. Um, but anyway, he. other than that, uh, it, really kind of a boring game. And that's what you want out of your tackles is a nice, boring game of no pass rush events. But he made one block in level two. Um, I didn't score him with any highlight blocks, and that's just fine with me if he's making all his pass blocks. Um, there, there's there's good miss blocks and there's bad miss blocks. And I'm going to tell you, a good miss block, I still want the attempt, but a, a good miss block comes from a tackle when they're making a backside block on a run play. So in Wagner's case, if the play is run left, he often has to try and catch a guy right off the snap or very quickly to try and make an impact to get him from – from getting to that side of the field. And in Wagner's case, he tried four times to make a cut block and four times missed uh, on cut blocks going to the, uh, where the play was going to the offside. And honestly, those are, if you're going to miss, miss on those kind of plays, it has the least impact possible of, of, uh, of any type of miss I can think of. So anyway, Wagner, Wagner scores an A, uh, and he would have an A whether I had to add a subjective adjustment or not, which I do for every player. But uh, outstanding game from Rick, and uh, the Ravens got to really think about extending him very soon. Oh, already talking extension in week two. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that, that's good to hear. And I'm, I'm, should I just mark uh, Rick down for an A for you for next week as well? Let, let's say we, we, I like to actually score the games, but sure. If you All, wanna, right. All right. For now, for now I'm fine. writing an A. You can change it next week if you would like. All right. So, all right, Ken, for people to get uh, way more in detail in this and, and, and see the charts and how it all breaks down, uh, we've mentioned before they can go on over to Russell Street Report, and uh, all your stuff is listed under film study, since that's what you're doing is studying the film. And But how can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, on Twitter, uh, I'm at... Film Study Ravens, love the discussion. A lot of chatter online during the day and, and at night. And uh, hey, if you if you send questions or if you follow me and, and you, you, you include my at symbol, I'll make sure I, I uh, answer your question. All right. That, that's a great way to get involved. And uh, I, I've, you, I've, sent, I've sent you many questions on Twitter over the years. I am I at Josh Soroka 
on uh, on Twitter, or if you just search Section 336, you can find all my stuff that way as well. All right, well, Ken, I'm glad to hear a uh, pretty good offensive report card for this this week, especially after that first quarter. And uh, all we can hope for is even a better report next week. Life is good, Josh. All right, once again, you've been listening to Locked On Ravens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Ravens talk every day. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst.